in this room a lot to cover. So uh, you'll need to listen fast today. I'm going to do my best to slow down, though, not go too quick, but we'll see what happens. So Life, live, live for God. This is the book of Joshua. Again, we're continuing in this study. I believe today is our 78th message in Joshua. We're in Joshua. Uh, last week we were in Joshua chapter number 10, verses 26 through 28. Last week's message was called Slaying Strongholds. And we're going to do a little bit of review to make sure there were some important things that were covered there. What we saw was the Amorite kings that had faced off against Joshua and the Israelites. What had happened is actually not only were they defeated, but actually they were, last week we saw that they were killed. And it was the way that they were killed. That pointed to us how it is you and I are supposed to mortify our flesh in the ever-present battle between the flesh and the spirit, something that all of us can relate to. But what happened is there was a relevance of the fact that they were hung upon trees that pointed us to something very important, yeah, but pointed us into the Old Testament back in Deuteronomy chapter 21. And in Deuteronomy 21, what we found was the Bible taught us that everyone that is hung upon a tree is cursed. But not only did it point us to the Old Testament, but it also pointed us forward into the New Testament. And it pointed us to the cross of Christ and his death on the cross because we see that phraseology of hung up on a tree. And what we found was in the New Testament, it shows up four different times that it says Jesus was hung up on a tree. We see it. Luke uh, talks about it in Acts chapter five or Acts 5, verse 30. He mentions it in Acts 10, 39. The Apostle Paul mentioned it in Galatians 3, 13. And then Peter mentioned it in 1 Peter verse two, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 24. Listen to that verse. It says, um, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. So it says, who his own self bears our sins in his body, and what being and, and, and that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. Pointing to the crucifixion, not only of Christ's crucifixion, but also our crucifixion as well. And it was revealed through those trees, that crucifixion of our, of our flesh. Now, Jesus had a physical crucifixion. Ours is a spiritual crucifixion crucifixion. Many times in our Christian lives, we like to just to sort of envision when we think about the cross, we envision Christ on the cross. We envision his death on the cross. But I tell you, that's great up to the time of salvation. But after that, when you envision the cross, you know, you should see on the cross ourselves. From after your salvation, you should be seeing yourself on that cross. Again, remember what he told them. We see this spiritual crucifixion mentioned in Galatians 5, 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And we saw last week, we discussed the process. What do we do? It requires self-examination, personal transparency, and most importantly, a surrender to God and his will. This is how a spiritual crucifixion takes place. Jesus mentioned it in Luke 9, 23. He said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Notice the wording, take up his cross daily and follow me. And we discussed last week that the cross only has one purpose. No one that went to the cross survived. It was a certain death. So understanding this Old Testament picture, recognizing the fact that it has a church age application, what I want us to do today is acknowledge the fact that the spotlight is upon crucifixion of the flesh. Then what we saw last week was we saw a transition start to take place where it shifted off of the focus on the trees and the focus on those kings. Then we saw a shift over to Makedah where Makedah was destroyed. And what we saw was a transition over from dealing with their struggles and their own failures to then the Israelites learning how to have victory. They became laser focused on doing God's will, on being obedient to God. 
And as a result of their obedience and as a result of their focus on God and God alone, not their own will, not their own desires, not their own understanding, but trusting in him, we saw that God shifted them back onto the very thing that he told them to do when they first got into the promised land. He told them what it was they were to do. He gave them their mission. We saw this. Now understand, their promised land was a physical place. For you and I, our promised land is not a physical place. Ours is a spiritual place. What does God intend for us in our Christian walk? After salvation, we're supposed to be pressing towards our promised land. Our promised land is an abundant walk with Christ. It's a place of fellowship with God. It's a place of oneness with God. It's a place of unity. Remember, God created us to have a family. He wants that unified family. John 10.10 describes this, and Jesus says it himself, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly more abundantly. This should be the focus of our Christian walk. And as we walk into abundant life, guess what? Our life makes a difference in the lives of those around us. Our testimony speaks volumes. The problem that we have is most Christians today, not only are they not in their promised land, but they don't even know where it is. They don't understand fully who Christ is in their life. So what happens, they've not fully experienced the promised land if they have at all. Because what's happened is they have learned to tolerate wickedness. They have learned to make a place where sin can be available to them, or at least accepted in their life. God tells us we're supposed to completely annihilate those forces of wickedness that are in the promised land. That's what the directive that was given to Joshua was. And you and I, guess what? We're supposed to do the very same thing in our lives. The things that we've allowed to work their way in to us. We're to crucify our flesh. And in crucifying our flesh, we address the issues that we tolerate in our lives, the wickedness, the sin that has found a way to take root in our Christian lives to where you don't even see it as sin anymore. Remember, Romans 13, 14 says this, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. What this means is do what Christ did. Put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We're not to give it any ground. So we're supposed to look into our, our promised land and we're supposed to root out those things that are wicked and we're supposed to address and deal with them. God intends for us to stand against the world and its influences and its influence instead of embracing the world. We live in a culture today where Christians have embraced the world and it's very difficult to recognize the difference between a Christian and someone who's just lost. And that's a sad thing. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this Old Testament picture and we're going to see it, how they get set back on course, on the course of victory. And not only do they get set back on the course, but how do they stay on that course without fail? Because I think that's what we all would love to have in our Christian life. Boy, wouldn't it be nice to live a life of victory instead of struggling with continuous defeat. So this morning what we're going to do is begin to chronicle their victory and, the, and, and their victories over the kingdoms of darkness that, listen, are entrenched in their promised land. There are maybe some things in our lives that have gotten a way to entrench themselves in our Christian lives, and they need to be addressed. And in doing so, as we look at how they deal with these issues entrenched within them, what we're going to do is take note of what they do, and not only what they do, but how they do it. Because what we want to do is turn around and do the very same thing in our lives. We're going to see four things that they're going to do today. First, they'll be unified in the fight. They'll be strengthened by the Lord. They'll be proficient with the sword. And then they'll be consistent in their obedience. In our message this morning entitled, More Than Conquerors. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today.
Thank you for the time that you've given us where we can gather around your word. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the way that you've spoken to me. God, I have prayed through the week. I have studied. Uh, Lord, and I believe that you have spoken to me. And I'm asking you now, Lord, that you would speak through me, that I would not in any way uh, interfere with what you would have us to hear. Lord, take your word. Uh, take your spirit, God. Speak to us. Address the issues in our lives. Help us, God, to become conquerors in this life. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself that we would have receptive hearts. And that, Lord, we would have ears to hear, God, what may be difficult to hear. And, Lord, also to be encouraged by the example that we see in Joshua and the Israelites. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in me, if no one else. And I pray that you'd help me to just get out of the way, to disappear, that you might speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua chapter 10, verses 29 through 32. It says, And Joshua passed from Machedon, and all Israel with him, unto Libna, and fought against Libna. And the Lord delivered it also, and the king thereof, into the hand of Israel, and he smote it with the edge of the sword. And all the souls that were therein, he let none remain in it, but did unto the king thereof, as he did unto the king of Jericho. And Joshua passed from Libna, and all Israel with him, unto Lachish, and encamped against it, and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, and which took it on the second day, and smote it with the edge of the sword. And all the souls that were therein, according to all that he had done, to Libna. So as you remember last week, remember Machedot and the, all of its inhabitants had been utterly destroyed. This was returning God's people back to the pattern that had taken place at Jericho. Remember there was a reference last week to Jericho. Now Jericho has been a little way ago, but there's a reference back. They had faithfully followed God without question. Remember when they were going to Jericho and God was giving them all these crazy instructions. You're going to circle seven times and on the seventh day. You're going to circle seven times. You're going to blow the trumpet seven times and you're all just going to scream. Okay, whatever. So it sounds crazy, but you'll notice that they just do it. They don't have it. No one says, well, this seems weird. I mean, we just keep walking around and walking around. It just seems like a waste of time. Joshua, we're really going to do it? No. They simply trust God, and they do exactly what he tells them to do, and God gives this miraculous victory. But then following that pattern of success, that pattern was broken, not because of God's unfaithfulness, but because of the unfaithfulness of God's people. And then because of their failure, they have got to deal with their own stuff that's going on. They've got to repent. Repent means to turn from. They've got to shift their pattern. So what they do is they deal with the issues. And we saw pictured for us last week those five trees, right? Those five trees, again, pointing to something that we saw last week, that personal aspect of crucifixion, what it was showing us. The pattern of victory after that, now it has returned. We saw last week, we finished up in verse 28, that Machedah fell before them. God is establishing something important for us to pay attention to. Now understand the details of how this takes place is important because it's going to help us to reproduce it in our lives. Okay? That's the goal. Remember, Joshua's a picture. So much of what we see in the Old Testament is a picture book. It's examples for us to follow. It's kind of like when you get the instructions to put together the grill, right? You look at those grill instructions. If it was just words, how many of you guys would just be like, you know what? I'm just going to have to not have a grill. I just, <laughs> that's way too many screws. I don't know what to do. But they give you pictures, right? And you look at it and you're like, okay, is it upside down? What, what? Okay. And you follow it. So the two work together to help you to have a clear understanding of how to move forward. We want to have successful. So what we see here is the first thing Joshua and the Israelites do is we see that they are unified in the fight. Verse 29 says, Then Joshua passed from Machedah, and all Israel with him, unto Libna, and fought against Libna. So take note that Joshua and the Israelites, as they head into their next conflict, what happens? There are no divisions among them. We can see that they are in complete agreement. It says, He and all of Israel with him. All of Israel with him. They're functioning as one. They are 
They are unified. This means that Joshua's men bought into what they were told just out of this. Remember they were in, when they were in that cave in Machedah and Joshua gave a speech? They bought into what they heard. Listen to what he said in Joshua 10, 25. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of a good courage, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. You guys are going into battle, but can I tell you this? You're going to be victorious. You need not be afraid. You need to be of a, of a good courage because, listen, this is going to go our way. And because they believed what they heard was true, it united them in the faith of what they heard. They stand together. And can I tell you, when we really trust God's Word, when we really trust what the Word says, we really understand it, you know what it does? It unifies us. Not only does it strengthen us in our unity with God, but you know what it does? It strengthens us as believers. It gives us a uniformity, right? When the Bible is the lens with which we see the world, it allows us to come together. What it means is this. That means that when you and I see something in the world and I see it through a biblical lens, guess what? If it's wrong, I hate it. If it's right, I love it. And if we're all looking through the same lens, we all see the same thing. Right? It's a beautiful thing. It's absolutely essential to unity. Unless you have a biblical worldview, there'll be confusion. Because it is, it is absolutely essential to have a biblical worldview that is unified in marriage, right? in friendships, in families, in churches, in communities, in countries. A unified view does not allow for division. Okay? So now the devil's very aware of that, right? Very aware of that. Because if you'll notice, the world uh, is divisive traditionally, right? The devil's not going to focus on unity. He's going to focus on division. He's going to point out what's different between us. And God's saying, listen, you know what? You're all a bunch of sinners. That's the one unifying thing you got going for you. You all needed a Savior, and guess what? I gave you one, right? That's the one thing that should unify us all. But we see without a common perspective that we cannot have unity. Listen to 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18. Be ye not unequally yoked together, listen, together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? How can two views have the same? They can't. They can't work together. What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, and as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Listen, if they're focused on him, wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters. We will function as a family. We will function as one. And so we see this aspect of unity. This is what the Bible offers mankind. It's what it's supposed to do for us. Now, because the devil knows that that's the, the goal of the Word of God, guess where his attack has always been? The Word of God. From the very beginning, and you go to, when you go to Genesis 3, surely hath God said? The first thing he does is attack God's Word. Because guess what? If we trust God's Word and that's our unifying factor, listen, we can be, become one. But he wants us to be divided. He wants us to tear each other apart. See, the problem we have is the fact that most of the people in the world today that, that use the Bible, they don't even use the Bible in the proper context. They don't even understand what the Bible actually says. They'll actually attribute things that are not in the Bible 
to God's word. They'll say, God's Bible, the Bible says this, the Bible says, but it's not in there. Right. Either that or what they'll do is they'll take God's word and they'll change it or they'll shift it to fit the perspective that they want, right? You'll hear people go, you know what that verse means to me? You know what? I don't care. <laughs> I do not care. I care what God says, right? But that's the way the world is because we're very, we're very egocentric. We're very about self, right? We want to know how things impact us. So what happens is it's a matter of changing the word of God to fit, to fit our narrative. And what you'll find is the fact that, you know, why are there over 450 English translations of the Bible? Because you know what? Somebody thought, that one doesn't work for me. You know what I need? A new version. I need a better version. You know what? And it's this aspect of trying to correct God's word as if it needs any help. There is one Bible that has been the same for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that is the only one that cannot be copywritten, that has been preserved throughout time as the English translation taken. If you can track the word of God, this King James Bible, you can track this Bible, this New Testament, all the way back to Antioch. All the way back to Antioch. Because guess what? It's what's called the received text, the Texas Receptus. The received text, all the parts and pieces of news, of, of, of gospel that was passed from person to person was collected, and they were able to create an English translation. And what happens now, what we've got is all these different systems of, of orientation or, or shifting of the word of God. A little word there and a little word there. But the Bible says that God told us he would preserve every word. Every word. So specific words are important. So if in one place it says, uh, you know, it says son, another place it says child, those are different. They don't mean the same thing. So God wants us to specifically understand his word. So what happens? The devil has attacked God's word. Always been his focus. Notice what Peter says in 2 Peter 3.16. As also in all his epistles, speaking of Paul, I think it's interesting that even Peter has sometimes a hard time understanding Paul, which is kind of cool. He says, as also in all epistles, speaking in them of these things in which some, are things, some things are hard to understand. Right? Paul says, hey, listen, or Peter says, listen, sometimes I read Paul's writing, and I, I, it takes me a minute to get it. Which they, listen, they that are unlearned, okay, this is an unstable, what do they do? Rest. That word rest is the root word of wrestle. They twist it. They rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Right. Twisting the word of God to meet what they want as opposed to allowing God's word to shift their perspective. For you see, it's only through allowing God's word, through the power of God's spirit to guide us, that we can stay on the course that he has for us. It's the only way we can truly be unified. Consider this. If we all went to, we were all lost in the woods, okay? We all get lost in the woods. I mean, and it's some dark, deep woods. And one of us turns out to have a map of the mountain that we're on. And you go, oh, check it out, man. I found a way out. And some of us go, oh, I believe in the map. Let's follow it. And some people go, you know what? I'm not believing that map. I think it's this way. We should all go this way. And some people looking this way and some people looking at the map. Guess what? We cannot be unified. But if we all trust that map, guess what? We're going to go on a single file line straight out the same pathway. That's what God's trying to tell us. Listen, must be unified. And because Joshua's men are fully trusting in his word, they stand as one against evil. There are no contingents pleading the case for the, I don't know how you say it, Libna, I don't know, Libanites, Libna, whoever they are, the people that live in Libna. Because what happens, notice, now I want you to understand, Libna is a city that's near Makedon, and it's a royal city. It's actually interesting. They have a pretty formidable army. They're not a pushover. And it's interesting, but what's cool about the name Libna is, you know what it translates as? Pavement. Interestingly enough, they will be a stepping stone for Israel, without a doubt. But in spite of the force that they, uh, or, the, or the threat that they uh, 
present, Joshua and his forces are resolute in destroying it. And because they are unified in their perspective, guess what they're going to do? They are going to fight as one, not trusting in themselves, not trusting in their own strategies, but trusting in God, which brings us to our next point, which is this. They're strengthened by the Lord. Verse 30 says this, And the Lord delivered it also, and the king thereof, into the hand of Israel. So we see the Israelites, what happens? Listen, they are in their place to fight. Now, it was not them who would deliver the victory. Okay, recognize this. It's not them. Though they're on the battlefield, they're not the ones that are, that are delivering the victory. It is going to be up to God. Okay, notice this example in 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 through 47. Listen to what David, uh, David's experience with Goliath. Then said David to the Philistines, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, that thou hast, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. Now, David is a weak child. He's just a person. But yet he stands and claims the victory. Do you notice this is before anything happens? He's talking some smack right up front. I mean, he's laying it out. Not because of his skills with a sling. He's not saying, you know, man, you guys don't realize. Man, I've been practicing hitting tree. I can hit a tree knot from 100 yards. No, he's not saying that. Not at all. It's not his confidence in himself or his skills. It's his confidence in God. Amen. And see, this is the area where so many Christians struggle. This is a problem because the way we think is this. You know what? If I'm going to be in a conflict, it's going to be important, you know, whether this is an internal conflict or an external conflict against someone or something, you know, based upon my efforts, my determination, my, my ingenuity, I can help bring the victory because I've got to bring some of my talents to bear, because, you know, how can God use me unless I show up with a, with a plan for victory? And yet God tells us that the battle, the battle is God's, right? David showed up, but the battle was God's. And even though God told us that the battle is his, what we want to do? What do we want to do? We think about it. You know what? Our, what's our responsibility? Our responsibility is just faithfully be in place, right? That's, that's the requirement. You show up to the battlefield. See, but because of our stupid pride, what happens is we're like, <clears throat> you know what, if I could just say the right thing, just, you know what, when she says this, if I could just, bam, just like, just let that land, that'll be perfect. You know what? Or, the, oh, you know what, I, you know, planning what we're going to say, thinking about a circumstance or situation that we need to work out so that we can intervene in the situation, and we'll spend all this time and energy of what we think should happen and what it is that we should do instead of stepping back and saying, you know what, God? Instead of me getting in my own head and trying to tell myself what I think should happen, what if I just stand back and said, you know what, Lord, would you just guide this situation? I don't want to come with any kind of preconceived notion of what I think should happen or what it is I should say. Lord, would you guide me in the moment? Help me to give grace. Help me to be kind. Help me to be loving. Help me be a representation of you in this situation. God, that you would receive glory. See, that's how victory comes, but we're, we're in our own way. And what happens so many times, we think we can speed up the resolution when all we do is basically make things worse than before we got involved in the first place, right? And so what we see here is when God tells us that the battle is his, our job is to trust him and spend our time working on us, okay? This is key. For you see, by concentrating our efforts on our personal walk with God, we allow him 
to deal with our struggles in his time and in his ways, which I can promise you are way better than the ones that we think, right? Our perception is going to be wrong. And so that what this pictures for us in our Christian lives is believers, listen, facing adversity with confidence in God, trusting the Lord to guide their steps on the battlefield. How does God do this? Through his spirit, working through his word. He's given us a map out of the wilderness. He's given us a map off the mountain. And guess what? We just need to simply put our trust in it and follow it. It's that simple. But if we're not in his word and you don't know his word, you don't know what to do and you don't know what to do because what you'll do is you'll fall back on human reasoning. Invariably, we'll trust that we are going to figure it out on our own. And you know what? I guess this one's up to me, God. I'm going to have to face it on my own. I'm going to have to bring the victory. But that doesn't work. Personal experience, like I said, that does not work. But what it does, does is it points us to the, the aspect of the third thing that's important for them. Why are they victorious? Because they are proficient with the sword. Okay? And he smote it with the edge of the sword and all the souls that were therein. And he let none remain in it, but did unto the king thereof as he did unto the king of Jericho. And what we see is that the Israelites being led by their Joshua, notice this, they're not just on the battlefield, but they're active participants in the fight. They're not on the sidelines. They are on the battlefield. Just like David. Listen, they have weapons in hand. They are clashing with evil. But it's not the skill that they have with their weapon that will defeat their enemy. It is God working through them and their willingness to be in their place that will allow them to see victory. Now, I know some people think, well, you know, gosh, so which one is it? Am, am I supposed to fight the battle or is God supposed to fight the battle? Well, it's kind of both. What I mean is this. What we're seeing pictured here is God using his people as instruments of righteousness. Okay? He's confronting evil and defeating evil with the sword, okay? And that's exactly what God expects us to do, okay? We only face off with our sword, with our weapon, right? So we go, okay, well, our sword. Now, theirs is a physical sword. Ours is not a physical sword, not at all. Ephesians 6, 17 teaches, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay? So we need our spiritual weapon because our fight is not a physical fight. It is not against a, against a physical enemy. It is against a spiritual enemy. Notice 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not physical weapons, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Because can I tell you this? Our enemies are not other people. Our enemies are not even ourselves or our fleshly desires. No. It's the influences of wickedness in this world that manipulate humanity. That's where the enemy lies. That's where we have to focus our attention. How do you overcome wickedness, man? By knowing truth and light and love. The love of God overwhelms dark. The light of love breaks through. A truth overwhelms a lie. Because guess what? A lie only has value and strength if we listen to it. If you trust it as truth, it becomes powerful. But if you know it's a lie, it's nothing. It's just, it's just words. Our enemies, again, are not people. Evil is real, and it is actively working to destroy humanity right now. We can look in our culture. We can look online. We can watch TV, and we can see, my goodness gracious, 
the destruction that's taking place in the lives of humanity all over this planet. It's horrific. But listen, God's intention is for people to be healed, to be restored, to be brought out of the darkness and into the light. But it is a spiritual battle. We want to fight it in our physicality, but God says you will never find solutions there. You'll never come to a resolution through doing it in your flesh. You'll only do it through fighting a spiritual battle with spiritual weapons. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So we're fighting, whether or not we want to recognize it or not, we're all fighting a spiritual battle. Those things that draw you to wickedness, guess what? It's a spiritual influence. Whispering in your ear, looking for weakness, looking for a way to portray, to attack not only you, but your family. To attack your spouse, to attack your church, your fellow church member. It's looking for ways to bring destruction into our lives. So if our fight is spiritual, why on earth do we spend so much time and energy trying to fight against people? Try to fight against our society. Trying to battle people in politics. That's not why we're here. As we mentioned before, Jesus was in, the, was, in, was in the world when Rome ruled the planet. Rome was corrupt. Rome was wicked. Rome was pagan. Jesus did not stand against Rome. He stood against wickedness. That's right. And we get so sidetracked in stupid political arguments and societal fights. And listen, you know what? The way you break through those things, win somebody to Christ. Let God shift their perspective to this word. And guess what? One person who used to be your enemy, guess what? They can soon become your friend, and they'll see the world the same way that you do. You know what? I was a liberal, liberal, liberal prior to getting saved. You would have hated me. promise you. I wasn't a quiet liberal. I was like an in-your-face liberal. Right? You wouldn't, didn't recycle. I'm like, rah, rah, rah. I mean, I, we'd have a fight. I'm not joking, man. I was a maniac. It's true. My wife's like, yeah. But. God has changed my perspective on the world because guess what? It's through the filter and the lens of the word of God. And so that's the beautiful thing, man. We don't win people by trying to argue them to understand our point. We win them by loving them to Christ and let God change the inside. That's the way this thing works. But human reasoning, we don't win things through human reasoning and worldly mechanisms for the real battle is for the souls of men. And only God can bring that victory. Jesus said, no man cometh to me, but the Father draw him. It is a spiritual draw. It's a spiritual fight. And so here, only God can bring that victory. So what are we to do, right? We're to show up on the battlefield with the sword of the Spirit in hand, prepared to fight. Prepared to fight with the wisdom that his word contains, because this is the key. This sword, this weapon... Can do, not, can do more than any other weapon on this planet. It is unbelievable what the Bible can do into the heart of man. There are some of us sitting here today, boy, and God did a surgery on us, and he cut us out of a heart of stone, and he put in a heart of flesh. Yes, amen. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It is a spiritual weapon and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And can I tell you, when properly wielded, there is no weapon that can defend against it. This is incredible what this word can do. It can unite families that are destroyed. It can take people that have been wrecked through life, 
that have been abused by others, that have done nothing but lose their life, fulfilling themselves with sin. And God can take that broken person who's shattered in a million pieces, gather every last morsel, every little crumb, gather everything from every corner, every piece of dust, draw it all back together and create something beautiful. So much more beautiful than it was before. Life, this world will never do that. You can't be restored like God can do. I can tell you, you can search this world for answers for the rest of your existence, for here into eternity. And guess what? You'll never find what God can do because only He can restore us. Only He knows us. He recognizes all those little bits of dust and He collects it all back together and makes something beautiful, a vessel of honor. This word is so powerful. The question is this. Are we proficient with our sword? Can we defend ourselves? Can we defeat evil? We should be able to. God's given us a sharper than any two-edged sword, man. He's given us the most powerful weapon we could ever have dreamed that exists. You know the only thing physical you can hold on to that's eternal? Is your Bible? How cool is that? And yet many of them sit in windows of back seats of cars with dust on them. Or on a coffee table. The family Bible. Oh man, I remember. Remember we used to read that Bible? Remember we used to sit down with our kids and read at night? Remember the time we used to spend? Boy, there were some good Bible studies back then. Remember what we used to do? Remember when? Remember when? Why do you think at Hope we spend so much focus on discipleship? Because you know what discipleship is? It's sword training. Right? It's sword training. You learn how to wield the weapon that God's entrusted to us. And if we learn how to use it, we can be effective in battle. Not only defend ourselves, but defend other people. Right? Defend people that we love. But you know what it also does? It allows us to defeat evil. And it also is the tool that brings people to Christ. Hearing by the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is what we need. Listen, the souls of men, the battle for the souls of men, it has never been more intense than it is today. There are lost souls all around us and people searching the Internet. One of the most searched things on the Internet, interestingly enough, in 2021, 2020, 21, and 2022, was John 3.16. Isn't that interesting? For God so loved the world. People are just like, hmm, I don't know what that means. Huh. People want to know, where did I come from? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Every one of those is answered in this book. Then the next thing we see is they were consistent in their obedience. Verse 31 and 32. And Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him unto Lachish, and he camped against it and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel and took it on the second day and smote it with the edge of the sword and all the souls that were therein according to all that he had done to Libna. And what we see here is that instead of, an incons- instead of the inconsistency that followed the battles at Jericho and the battles of Ai, what happens now, the pattern of victory has continued. So what we have to do is ask ourselves, what changed? How did they shift to being conquerors? 
And as always, what do we do? We just go to the Word of God because guess what it'll tell us? If we were back in Joshua chapter 1, God told them what it would take for them to be successful. Joshua 1 verses 7 and 8. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. You keep my word, which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right or to the left that thou mayest prosper with whithersoever thou goest. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. The word of God will be your guide, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, notice the terminology, then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You know what he's saying? Hey, listen, remain faithful to me. Remain faithful to my word, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to have incredible success. That's what he told them to do. That was where they struggled. They were not faithful. But now they have learned. And so when they get to Lachish, listen, who's king, by the way. Remember, Lachish was one of those five kings. That king is dead. Their army's already been wiped out. But there is no issue of human strategy in regards to how to go to Lachish. They simply trust the Lord. Back at Ai, they asked, Joshua sought advice from his men, and they gave bad advice. When it came to the Gibeonites, Joshua sought his men, and they gave bad advice. Now, he, you know what he's learned? I ain't asking y'all nothing. <laughs> We're just going to do what God says. They simply do what God told them. They trust in his word, they faithfully follow it, and they stand in their place against evil. Because remember, the victory is not theirs to win. And this is what I want you to hear this, okay? It's not theirs to win, but it is theirs to witness. Okay? If they're not in place they won't see it and see what they see will be what they will tell others they'll share a testimony of what they witnessed firsthand God wants them to see what he can do because they'll encourage future generations with that knowledge remember what he said when they crossed the Jordan River and they stacked those stones Joshua told them this, Joshua 4, verses 6-7, that this may be a sign among you. And when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? There ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, and the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. You know what those stones tell us, kids? God can be trusted. You know what those stones tell us? God can do the impossible. That's what they, that's what they tell us. And see, that's the key. Recognizing, listen, understanding this truth and making this the foundation as they have gone forward. What they're doing now is they're establishing a new pattern, okay? A new pattern of victory. Because I want you to pay attention. This is a subtle little thing that you'd miss if you didn't pay attention to it. I'd missed it many times. But there's a subtle little thing here, which is Jericho the word Jericho. I want you to pay attention. Back in Joshua chapter 8, verse 2, it says this, And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. Joshua 10, 28. Utterly destroy them and all the souls that were therein. He let none remain, and he did to the king of Machedah as he did unto the king of Jericho. And there's 30. And the Lord delivered it also, and the king thereof, into the hand of Israel. And he smote it with the edge of the sword and all the souls that were therein. And he let none of them remain, but did unto the king thereof as he did unto the king of Jericho. So Jericho, three different times we've seen here. Jericho is where they trusted God and he did the impossible. That's what took place. They functioned by faith. They trusted God. 
So what that was was the benchmark. Okay? Do remember what you guys were doing. Remember, remember how you were walking with me way back at Jericho. You remember that? Do that. Amen. Do that. Just keep doing what you did back then. Do what you did back then. Do what you did back then. But I want you to take note of what it says in verse 32. This is cool. And the Lord delivered Lachish in the hand of Israel, which took it on the second day and smote it with the edge of the sword and all the souls that were therein, according to all that he had done to Libna. Jericho is no longer the standard. It's no longer what you did in the past. I don't need you to go back to your past testimony of when you used to serve God, when you were really walking with God, and say, hey, listen, do what you used to do way back then. You know what we see now? He's saying, just do what you just did. Amen. <laughs> you don't need to search the past to find a victory in your life. Right. If you're walking with me, you know what? You just experienced a victory. Just keep doing what you're doing Amen. in order to experience success. A new pattern of faithfulness has been established. It's no longer about past successes. It's now about current successes. Just keep doing what you're doing. How about us? Are the testimonies that we share about, God, about the great works of God, are they from years ago? What God used to do? If so, then why? Have we stopped depending on God and walking with Him like at one day we used to? How sad that many people you meet in their Christian lives will tell you stories of when God did great things, but they're way in the past. When I was a boy, when I was a young man, back when my kids were little. But what about today? What about this week? Could God say to us, hey, what you're doing right now, just keep on doing that because you're on course. You have set a new pattern of success. Are we currently experiencing victories because we're walking with God? We're supposed to be. We're supposed to be. If we want to live a victorious life, we have to establish a new pattern of behavior, a pattern of success instead of defeat. What we saw them do was be unified in the fight, strengthened by the Lord, proficient with the sword, consistent in their obedience. And you know what? We've seen what it takes to be victorious. We've seen it laid out right in front of us. Now it's just a matter of doing it, right? It's one thing to know what to do. That's another to do it. Actively doing our part. Will we continue in defeat, which for many of us has been a pattern we've established? Or, right, will we establish a new pattern and become more than conquerors? Because you know what it tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 37? It says, nay, in all these things, everything that comes against us, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Notice this, through him that loved us. Amen. Our strength, our success, our victories are in our walk with God. If we'll be faithful, if we'll follow the example of these Israelites, and what they learn from failure, which we all can understand failure. But listen, don't stay in the pattern of failure. Learn the lesson. Make the change. Become victorious. And just stay, keep doing the right thing, and have a pattern of success.
Love you guys. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the word that you've given us, for the truths that we've received, uh, Lord, through this example in the book of Joshua. Thank you, Lord, for the subtleties of the word, the consistency of the word, the power of the word, the guiding light that it is to us. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for those listening and recorded online, wherever they are. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to, to break the pattern of failure that many of us have accepted in our lives. And Lord, help us to cling to the victories that you have set ahead of us. Lord, help our lives speak volumes of the goodness of God. Help our lives speak volumes of hope to those that are hopeless. God, I pray that you'd guide and direct us as a body, as a people, as individuals. Oh, Lord, that we would be more than conquerors through him that loved us. And I pray, Father, that you'd please uh, guide us, strengthen us, and Lord, use us mightily for your glory. God, the battle for the souls of men, it is, it is intense, to say the least. Oh, but God, you can do mighty things on this battlefield. Help us to wield the sword that you've given us, not trusting in ourselves, but claiming the victory because of the God we serve. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today, and you say, listen, I don't know where my relationship with God is. Listen, I can relate to that. 21 years ago, someone asked me if I died today, if I'd go to heaven, if I knew God, if I was saved, and I, I'd never even heard the term before. I was raised in no church whatsoever. But thankfully, someone took the time and simply explained to me that God loved me, that God died when Jesus died on the cross, that he died with me in mind, that he was willing to pay the price for my sins because you know what? Sin separates us from God because he's holy. But because he loves us, he came in the form of a man. He came in the form of a man and he died a miserable, horrific death for us to pay the price for the sin debt that we have with God. He faced the wrath of God on our behalf. You can either receive that gift that he gave from the cross and allow Jesus to face the wrath of God, or you can choose to receive it, or you choose to, to accept it yourself, and that wrath would be upon you, and you'd be separated from God forever. Right now, God's talking to your heart. He's asking you, would you receive me? I died on the cross for you. All you have to do is by prayer and by faith receive me as your Savior. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do so. There's no magic words or ceremony. It's just a willing heart reaching out to a loving God. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind and reach out to God. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for my sin. I know that you died on the cross because you love me. I don't feel worthy, but I sure am thankful. By faith, I'm receiving you as my Savior. By faith, I'm giving you my life. Lord, would you come into my heart? Would you save my soul? Would you give me a home in heaven? Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.